From CGRU, you're listening to Built to Play. I'm Armin Agbali. And I'm Daniel Rosen. Armon, we play a lot of video games, probably more than the average person does. That's probably true. And I think we've both played our fair share of games that weren't perfect. They were cool games in their own right, and they have something special to them because of that. They might have an interesting idea or a cool narrative. Does this mean we're talking about 7 out of 10? Yes! Yes, finally! You're sharing your scientific system with the world. Yes, this is something that Armin and I have talked about a lot off microphone, which is the concept of the 7 out of 10 scale, which is that the best video games are 7 out of 10s. The idea is that the closer a game is to 7 out of 10, the better it is. So a 10 out of 10 on the 7 out of 10 scale is a perfect game. That would be Final Fantasy 13 3 Lightning Returns. <laughs> a game that is a 0 out of 10 on the 7 out of 10 scale, say perhaps Destiny 2, um, <laughs> while a good game in its own right, is a trash game on the 7 out of 10 scale. It's just too far away from 7 out of it's 10. It's too polished, it's too well-crafted, it's too well-executed. This kind of comes from the realm of, for a lot of major game reviewing sites, even when up back in the day, games tend to get 7 out of 10s when they don't fall into an established category of game. When they are either poorly executed in some way, or not fully fleshed out, too short, too good in an interesting way, but not in such a way that you can clearly criticize them, especially in the context of games like the Grand Theft Autos and the Assassin's Creed's of the world highly polished works of video game that really sort of do what they set out to do. And whether that's interesting or not, that's really easy to talk about. But a game that doesn't quite accomplish everything it wants to do, that's a lot more difficult to talk about on these out of 10 scales. And 7 out of 10s are 10 to be where those interesting kind of video games go. So, okay, what would be like a perfect 10 out of 10 on the 7 out of 10 scale? Well, like I said, Final Fantasy 3, like, Final Fantasy 13, 3 Lightning Returns is one of my favorite games that I think is probably close to a 10 out of 10. Why is that? First of all, it's just, it's a game that is about time and manipulating time, which I think is horrible and impossible to in video games, but always interesting when it is accomplished. It reuses all the assets from Final Fantasy 13, throws a couple new ones in there, but is mostly just about going back through parts of this world and reflecting on not just them, but reflecting on why Final Fantasy 13 was made and why it was a disaster. Characters have long drawn out conversations that are poorly veiled metaphors for game development and why Final Fantasy 13 was a disaster of a video game. Characters fight over the concept of what it means to make a video game and why. Lightning's final battle is against somebody who's been telling her that it is God and will recreate the world, but in fact just wants to throw this world out because it's not worth saving because it's a bad video game that people don't like. We risked everything, but in the end we couldn't save the future and I've died. If that's not a mistake, what is? That's why I have to get rid of it. Throw it all away. Okay, so this makes sense to me. We, you, you have been talking to me about Final Fantasy thirteen three for the longest time. Thirteen three Lightning Returns. Please use his full official name. Sorry, and I mean, I think we also both grew up with like the ten point review scale. Unlike movies, games tend to get reviewed um, out of ten, except for a couple places if they get scores at all. But without this kind of conversation, I feel like talking about seven out of tens uh, seems like total nonsense to like yeah, any kind of outsider. Seven out of tens are something that people go to when they talk about a game that's sort of mediocre, oftentimes, and so. The kind of system that we have developed between the two of us is the kind of system that forms when two people talk to each other a lot about games that they enjoy and are trying to find words to talk about them. Right. But we're not the only people thinking about the words we use to describe these games. Earlier, uh, we talked to Sophia Park. I'm a narrative designer and game developer. I create games, including uh, the newest local host, which came out last month. She's based in Toronto, like us, and she really loves 7 out of 10s, though she calls them messy games. Here's her definition of what that means. Well, it's not janky, which mm -hmm. I've heard a lot. Janky being like, oh, like the systems aren't really like working together, or like you know, say you play Fallout Four and like you have to like walk in a weird way to press a button to talk to somebody. 
over and over again for like 20, 40 hours, that's janky. It's like the idea is executed well, except that the literal like programmatic execution isn't uh, perfected. It's still sloppy. But when you take that concept and you apply it ideologically, when you apply it to you know the creative forces of the game as a whole and not the literal programming of the game, it becomes like uh, sort of an unhoned, undirected piece. Uh, some some friends of mine who who were recently they left Bioware, they mentioned that at Bioware they called it like when they build, when they make a game it's like building a plane in the air that they don't really know how it's gonna land and so you know sometimes the plane doesn't doesn't land perfectly or like a piece is in the wrong place it's because someone higher up someone made the decision that didn't like make good on a, on a previous promise that wasn't really like paid back upon later. The thing I find interesting about both of our sets of terminology, her messy games and then us seven out of tens, they come from the world of like negative language. So messy is inherently like you want to play something that is ideally more coherent and seven out of tens, like it's clearly not perfect. Like it's fine. It's like a B plus, it's a B on a test, but it's not great. Why do you think that when talking about games that aren't perfect, we pull ourselves towards language that is inherently negative? I think that in, in media criticism, and specifically game reviewing, perfection is viewed as this ideal that one can actually achieve. And I don't think it is. No piece of media can be perfect. Art is imperfect. It is perhaps, and I don't think it was a conscious thing on any of our parts, but it, to me, kind of it reads now as a denial of perfection as an attainable thing within video games. It is saying imperfect games are good too and so we will revel in them being imperfect we will revel in that and give them those names and once we have that kind of vocabulary you're able to make the argument about why people should play those kinds of games Sophia wrote an article for polygon making that case and why we should all be playing more messes we should play messy games because they teach us more than just a, a technically masterful uh, well-honed thesis of an idea can teach us by exploring a bunch of questions simultaneously, uh, it allows for a deeper like exploration of multiple things, even as it doesn't really know what it's trying to say. Exactly. In the piece, I, I mentioned Mass Effect Andromeda, which sort of uh, jumps off from like Mass Effect One, Two, and Three's like synthetic organic sort of like debacle into like this hybrid that is tested and uh, is reformed. But like the game isn't really about that. It's just sort of also there. Like like the fact that you have an AI in your head is just sort of also there. And so I thought that that was a really cool idea that I got a lot out of, even though it wasn't really the point. I think it's important in order to get an idea of where culturally the lines are. But when it comes to games like Mass Effect Andromeda, which like adventure narratives, these are like the mainstream ideas of what we should be doing with our robot friends. And like they're becoming more and more like ingrained in us. Those sorts of ideas give you an idea of like where our culture is going in regards to how it examines like those sort of tropes and concepts. Do you think it's also kind of valuable as a player to experience that that sort of like navigating something broken or navigating something messy? I would say yes, but I've heard a lot of opinions to the contrary. People usually say, oh, I only have so many hours in the day. Why would I spend 60 hours on something that wasn't perfected? Um, in which case it comes to comes down to whether or not you only want to consume like really well-honed, well-crafted uh, sort of concepts and stories and whether or not you, you want to like take a dive into like more experimental work. Because I think Messina is, is just a form of experimentalism, mm -hmm. uh, in the same way that we would watch like uh, an avant-garde film from like 1934, or the same way that we would watch only this select early film by Spielberg, where you know there's this serial killer and he's like in a, in a truck and he's chasing this guy around mm -hmm. for like two hours. Uh, so people will be like, "Well, that's a waste of my time. That's not the Spielberg as I know it. Why would I want to watch that one?" To me, it's like, "Well, it can still inform you. Uh, it still has things to teach you, and whether or not you have the diet." Whether or not you have the, the taste 
to to want to engage with that is a uh, is a choice that I think we're kind of like blessed to have. I think films tend to be a little bit more acceptably messy because we have the critical framework to talk about mm-hmm. what is messy about them. But I'm wondering, you know, why are movies, why are films more acceptably messy than, than games? Is it that vocabulary? Is there something else to it? I would argue that it is the vocabulary. I would argue that when our appreciation is limited to technical mastery, then all we will notice is technical mastery and all we will communicate is technical mastery. I think that when it comes to like the, the kids on NeoGAF talking about the latest release, if they can't sit down and be like, wow, I just really love the, the mise-en-scene in, the, in that last game, then uh, it's going to be a little bit harder to say what was good or bad about it instead of just like, oh, that just didn't work. It was just bad. And then all you'll you will receive is that it was bad. In film, you know, we have ways of breaking down the formal elements of film, and these are things that like you can apply to games, but they weren't taken from games in themselves as a medium; they're borrowed. Mm-hmm. And so, games as a medium is too new to have its own language, one that is independent of other mediums. And so, when it comes to these games, these games that aren't perfect, it comes out like, oh, that was just bad. Why was it bad? I don't know. It just doesn't work. Donnie Darko is an example you use as a, a, a kind of a messy film that you, you like a lot. What are the things that you could say about Donnie Darko that you would perhaps think people are struggling to say about games? I think Donnie Darko is a really great picture of the, the late 1980s that never was because I wasn't there. Uh, I was born in 93. And so when I look at like what I what I want 1989 to be, it's like it's just the killing moon and like this kid time traveling on a bike. Who's being like slaughtered by like a jet engine, mm-hmm. like that? That that seems like the the darkness of the era portrayed through its music. It's like refracting the music in, into like a world and a story. And so, because uh, Richard Kelly wants me to believe that his ideas of time travel are really deep and cool, he he also in the process made this amazing world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, to to balance it over, you know, even though M. Mass Effect Andromeda was supposed to be this amazing new adventure, uh, it, it gave me this this cool idea about how I could have a relationship and become a plural being with an artificial intelligence and how that can be taken from me and how that can be forged. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was just really worthwhile. Mass Effect Andromeda and I think a lot of games that are kind of sprawling like it are very, very, very long. They're tens of hours. Do you think that we like need to finish games like them to sort of appreciate the messiness? I think that... Whether or not you complete it might give you a sense of narrative satisfaction or a narrative fulfillment internally if you need it. But you should chase that fulfillment as much as you need it. Beyond that, if you enjoy something, if you are getting something out of it and that's it and you're, you know that we, what you've wanted out of it, then I think the work is doing its job just fine. I think we've all played a lot of messy games, especially growing up. And, and what are games that kind of you remember fondly but you feel are now like looking back it's like oh that was a game that was messy and inspired me in some way geist Mm -hmm. (laughs) for the gamecube uh the game itself has you being i think you were like a scientist or maybe a soldier you were infiltrating a base and in the process you had your soul sucked out of your body and you were brainwashing you another spectral soldier for this company but because the brainwashing machine broke down you were just sort of let loose in the facility and so you're trying to find what happened to your body by infiltrating it like one object or one person or one animal at a time there's something really deeply unsettling about that that sort of method of agency the sort of fluidity between people this unlimited access to to corporeal beings and the general like darkness of it, especially in 2005 on the Nintendo GameCube, because I was a Nintendo child. I think 2005 I was 12. It led to me being sort of intrigued in a way I wasn't really getting on other Nintendo games. It felt really devastatingly like, v- like violent, like violative, and that was sort of scary mm-hmm. in a way that Nintendo c- couldn't give me. 
thank you so much for, for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me here. Sophia Park is a Toronto-based game designer and one of the creators of Localhost. It's a cyberpunk video game that you can upload to your computer. It's not a messy game. It's actually very good. But even if it wasn't, you should probably check it out. She also hosts a podcast of her own called Metagame. It's a show that analyzes game journalism. You can find it at metagame.fun. You're listening to Built to Play. I'm Armin Iqbali. And I'm Daniel Rosen. Next week is Halloween, my favorite season. And uh, Armand, I believe you prepared something spooky for us. It depends if you consider text adventures spooky. I have been spooked by text before. I've often thought that there's something inherently creepy about text adventures. All you have is like a text prompt and a description of a scene you're in. You type in simple phrases for where to go and what to do, and you just hope you don't get killed. I mean, there's a lot of these, and some of them are more visual than others, and we've talked about them before in the show. But when I think of text adventures, I'm thinking of green text appearing on a black screen. And there's something inherently mystifying about that relationship. So what what is that relationship to you? In a board game or any other kind of game, you know the other forces working around you because you can see them. Either your competitors or your people you're working with. And if there's a board, you can see kind of the world that you're working within. In like a more traditional visual-based adventure game, something like Myst, you're literally exploring a world. And then like that can be creepy in its own right, but there's nothing quite as powerful as your own imagination. Uh, computers spitting text at you is always just going to be more of an enigma. It's like when you read a book versus a movie. The gap between what you conceive of versus what is actually going to be able to be rendered on a screen is just so different. And in thinking about this, I landed on this thing that actually brings the text adventure in the real world. It's called Action Castle. So Action Castle is one of several parsley games. It sounds like the herb, but it actually takes its name from text parsers. Those are the parts of a text adventure that would try to understand the words you feed it. And that's the goal of parsley. One person takes the role of the text parser, and everyone else takes the role of the person on the computer. In turns, you give commands to the parser. We went down. There's a ghost here. Very close. Um, give rose to ghost? That was not a smart move. <laughs> the ghost passes his hand into your chest and stops your And that split kind of changed the dynamic entirely. And I wanted to know why you would do this, because it seems like you're fundamentally altering the relationship between the game and the people involved. So I called up the creator. Um, and the other thing was, do you have any questions for me before we start? No, I'd like everything to be a total surprise. Okay, sounds good. That's Jared Sorensen. He's this independent tabletop game designer who makes a lot of these communal style experiences. But Parsley in particular exists because Jared has long been a fan of text adventures. I had a teacher, Mr. Lipinski, where I went to school, and he introduced me to the Apple IIe. So I got into computers at a very early age and loved them because I didn't have to talk to people. I could just sit in front of a screen and have fun. It was great. Very low stress. And uh, one of the games he taught me was Zork and Planetfall and uh, Deadline. And later I even got to be a tester for Info at Infocom for the game Sea Stalker, which was rad. And that was, uh, that was their junior adventure game. So what I didn't realize is that, like, he has a totally different conception of text adventures than I did. For one, I mean, like, he grew up with them. They were more familiar. Those were the computers of his time. For me, like, when you look at an old screen, it kind of seems, like, ancient. It's more of a ghost figure. But... Essentially, those games were never daunting for him. They were liberating. What about the, the actual exploration part of adventure games hooked you? The ability to kind of make the game my own based on what I typed in. 
like there was a response they were looking for, but there was all this other stuff you could type in to get different responses. And I really liked seeing what it would spit out at me. Um, and not, not, uh, coincidentally, it's also what I like most about parsley games is seeing what the players will spit out at me because as I like to tell people, parsley is not a game for the player. It's a game for the parser. That last part in particular blew my mind because it speaks to what Jared in particular enjoyed about text adventures mastery. Once you've played through a parsley game, you know, it great, good for you. You got a score and life goes on. But for me, I can play that game. 10,000 times as the parser and it's always different because there's always different people. They're challenging me with different commands. They're forcing me to remember things. They're throwing curveballs at me. I can reuse jokes because they don't, they haven't heard them before. I can create new jokes based on the situation and based on the players. Um, so it is totally kind of improv comedy stand up crossed with a really nerdy version of karaoke where I know the lyrics, but based on the crowd, I can sing those lyrics any way I want. What do you find that you get from doing an inverse, an in-person version of a text adventure that we can't necessarily get from something like Zork? Well, I mean, I can cater the response to the person. Uh, if I'm playing with a bunch of little kids, I can, I can kind of, you know, if they say, uh, can I blah, 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 do this? I say, yes. And this is what happens. But if I'm playing with adults, I'm merciless. Uh, they'll say, can I do this? And I'm always like, can you? And then I just go on to the next player. Um, or I'm going to try to open the door and I say, well, you can try, you can try anything in a parsley game. And I move on to the next person. I'm really mean. And based on how people are doing, how, what the energy of the room is, it's exactly like doing a stand up comedy set. You kind of have to gauge the energy of the room and then kind of cater your routine to them in a Zork type game, just on a computer. One, the computer doesn't know how you're feeling as a player. And two, there's no other players playing it that it can take advantage of. So in a Parsley game, because I know each person's going to take a turn, that, that gets this weird group dynamic where you start to have factions who are like the faction that wants to go west versus the faction that wants to go east or the faction that wants to put on the boots versus the faction that wants to take them off. So you get this weird inter-party uh, uh, rivalry until it becomes a collaboration which usually kicks in at around 40 to 50 minutes into the game where people are like, wait a minute, we have to cooperate. And then all of a sudden it's over in 10 minutes. After watching Jared perform Action Castle on several YouTube videos, it made me really curious to what it's like to try it. But I don't know these games as well as he does, and I'm not the improv type. But it is interesting how he managed to change my fear of playing text adventures to being a text adventure. But Halloween is nothing if not about fear, so in the spirit of a season, I did some karaoke with some friends from the station, and if that's not scary enough, we played a version of the game called Spooky Manor, with a small twist for everyone else. Thank you for joining me to play Spooky Manor. So what Spooky Manor is, um, is I'm not gonna tell you how to play, is we're just going to start, I'm gonna read to you, and then one by one, you're gonna each come from the mic, starting counterclockwise from my position. So that's gonna be Dan, then Jacob, then Justin, then Michael, then John, and then we're just gonna go in a circle, okay? So you have come to a computer in a dark room where a green light flashes on the screen. You notice that upon closer inspection, it reads, Opening your eyes as if, a, as if from a long and dreamless sleep, you find yourself standing over a lifeless body. 
With growing horror, you realize that the body is yours. Once a visitor, now a permanent resident of Spooky Manor. The end. It looks to be some kind of video game. One that was lost, poorly. It is up to you to attempt to complete it. And we're going to do this in order, and we're only going to give we're only going to do this for about thirty minutes. Although there are some events in the game that will prolong the time. So first player, as soon as the first player gets the mic, we'll start the timer. Go. Uh, type. Start. The the game restarts from its opening position. Welcome to Spooky Manor. You must deliver a parcel to the mysterious occupant of Spooky Manor. You start by rolling in on your bicycle, stopping by a foreboding wrought iron gate. A cobblestone path winds its way to the north. To the east and west stretches a dark and lonely road. It is raining. Your exits are north. Type, go north. The wrought iron gate is closed. Do you attempt to bring the bike with you? No. You leave the bike by the gate and press your way in. You are now at the front door. It is imposing. There is a brass knocker here. Uh, Type knock at the gate with the knocker. You knock, and the door opens on the second knock. You are now in a vestibule. Rain drips from your coat onto the floor. Beyond is the manor's great hall. There is a coat tree here. Your exits are south and north. Yeah, uh, go north. There's something keeping you here. Maybe it's being polite. You won't enter a person's home without putting up your, uh, your wet uh, jacket. Hang coat. You hang the coat on the rack, and you hear an unlocking sound of a door in front of you. Open door. You are now in the great hall. There is a large mirror and some oil paintings hanging on the wall. A staircase leads to the second floor. Your exits are up, south, east, west. Walk toward the staircase. As you walk towards the staircase, you hear a loud locking sound. A door behind you has closed violently and shuttered. You head up to a hallway. You stand in the long hallway at the top of the stairs. There is an open door to the east. To the west is a closed door. There is a trap door in the ceiling. The exits are down, east, west, up. Go up. You are in a dark attic. Moonlight filters in from a small window. You hear the rustling of levery wings in the rafters. There is an old steamer trunk here. The only exit is back where you came. Uh, open and inspect trunk. I can only do one command at a time. Oh my <laughs> open trunk. The trunk is sturdy but old. A label on its side reads Transylvania. So if we can't open it, um, should we just leave? It was the. Can you reread the uh, that room's description? You are in a dark attic. Moonlight filters in from a small window. You hear the rustling of leathery wings in the rafters. There is an old steamer trunk here. Seems like if open just lets us check the trunk, we can't open it. So I would say go back, uh, go back, and then go east. You may only do one command at a time. Uh, go back. You are now in the hallway. You stand in a long hallway at the top of the stairs. There is an open door to the east. To the west is a closed door. There is a trap door in the ceiling. Go east. The servant, you are now in the servant's quarters. The quarters contain a bed, a wardrobe, a dresser, and personal effects. Your only exit is back where you came. Inspect personal effects. The room appears to belong to Lord Spooky's manservant, Manfred. 
you can tell from his personal facts lined across the lined across the the room. He does not seem to have been here in a long time. Did you say there was a dresser? There is a dresser. Inspect dresser. The room appears to belong to Lord Spooky's manservant, Manfred. He appears to have not been here for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Probably just have to go back. So exit room, back to the hallway? You are now in the hallway. There's an open door to the east. To the west is a closed door. There's a trap door in the ceiling. Uh, go back east. You head back towards the servant quarters. The servant quarters contain a bed, wardrobe, dresser, and personal effects. Lie on bed? The bed is uncomfortable and unreliable <laughs> for any kind of lovemaking. <laughs> Maybe the we tried the dresser and the we tried the wardrobe. Wait, we uh, we inspected. Is that different than opening it? I I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah we've got to try. Yeah, see what happens. It's a text adventure game. All right, uh, get off bed. You get, you stand back in the in the servants' quarters. Open wardrobe. I cannot do two commands at once. Open wardrobe. The room appears to belong to Lord Spooky's manservant, Manfred. Jesus. He doesn't appear to have been here for a long time. Can we check under the bed? Under the bed is a shocking amount of dust. For a, for a servant's quarters. Then we have to admit, like, if there's nothing in here, then we have to admit something upstairs? Like, if there was something with the bats, like you said? We have to go west, but that door's closed. I guess we haven't, we haven't tried to open it. Uh, exit room, go back to hallway. You are now in the hallway. Go, go west. The door is locked. Uh, go back downstairs. You are now in the great hall. There is a large mirror and some oil painting stand hanging on the wall. A staircase leads up to the second floor. Your exits are up, south, east, west. I'm going east or west. Or, yeah, or check the painting or break the mirror. I don't want to see what the paintings are, yeah. so let's inspect paintings. These are port- You see portraits of a distinguished-looking man and a pale-skinned woman. Break the mirror? It is against company policy to, dis- <laughs> to destroy any of the objects belonging to people to whom you are attempting to deliver a package. Inspect mirror. You see yourself wearing just your regular clothes, your raincoat having been set aside. Check inventory. In your inventory is a parcel, a box wrapped in paper and tied with twine addressed to Lord Alistair Spooky. You also have a bike lock, a heavy chain and padlock still in your bag. It is probably the heaviest thing in your inventory. We should have locked that bike up, huh? (laughs) There goes the bike. All right, go east. You head to the dining room. The dining room contains a long banquet table, a whole roast pheasant complete with drumsticks, resting in the center of the table. The exits are east, north, and south. It feels like a bad idea, but I kind of want to eat the yeah, roast pheasant. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Slice it from the right yeah. yeah, okay. So slice open the roast pheasant. Carve the pheasant. You have no, you have no utensils to which to attempt that command. Are there any on the table, maybe? Just, like, check for... I mean, just say, let's just say, like, just say eat it. Just, like, go hands in. Yeah, like, if you, there might be, like, a key inside of the pheasant. Mm-hmm. So, Come well, in, yeah. Get, uh, open the pheasant with your hands. The meat is cold and unappetizing. <laughs> yeah, it's on you now. Um, inspect table. Sitting on the table is a, is a pheasant. To you, it looks old and decrepit. But to someone else, perhaps an animal... It looks like it might be much more enticing. I, yeah, actually, a take pheasant? You Pretty do not cool. know how heavy a pheasant is until you attempt to lift it. 
It is far too heavy for your weak arms. <laughs> I thought we were public delivery people. Um, I figured just like leave this room. Probably if we, if we find like a dog or something to eat the pheasant. Your exits are east, north, and south. Uh, where did we just come from? We came. This was the east exit, right? Or you and you. Yeah, so west would be the exit okay. that we came from, so north or south. All right, go north. You are now in the kitchen. The kitchen is old-fashioned, bereft of most modern conveniences. There is a meat cleaver here. There is a small bottle of olive oil. A cellar door leads down. The exits are down and south. Take the meat cleaver. You add the meat cleaver to your inventory. While we're there, also grab that uh, it's oil, olive oil. You add the bo- bottle of olive oil to your inventory. Turn south. You are now back in the dining room. Sitting on the table is a a roast pheasant, complete with drumsticks. Uh, use meat cleaver on pheasant. You hack off a drumstick of of the pheasant. Add drumstick to inventory. The drumstick has been placed with the bike lock and the olive oil. Um, okay, we can go south from here, right? Yep. Very spooky. Um, go back to the kitchen. You return to the kitchen. It is old-fashioned, bereft of most modern conveniences. There is a meat cleaver here that you have taken, and a small bottle of olive oil that you have also taken. A cellar door leads down. Equip, arm yourself with the meat cleaver? I think we're already holding it. You're already holding it. Okay, uh, then go to the cellar. Open cellar door. You enter the dark cellar and see a monstrous wolf chained to the wall. There are cloves of garlic here. There is one exit, up. I mean, we gotta feed that wolf some pheasant. Oh, uh, give pheasant drumstick to wolf? The, the wolf immediately chomps it in its mouth. It swallows it in a couple bites. It does not seem to be distracted for long. That's a terrible idea. We're not gonna want to fight against a wolf. Giant monster wolf. Take garlic. You, t- you add garlic to your inventory. I feel like we're gonna end this by making pasta or something. Like yeah, that. exactly. <laughs> um, is there any other exit? The exit, the only exit is the one from which you came, up. Um, go up. You return to the kitchen. Before we do anything, I have a question. Our purpose here, as we have found now, is that we have a package that we are delivering. Was there, we, we really should have examined whether or not there was a mailbox outside. If the door to get out is locked, maybe we should just, like, somehow find a way out and just put it in the mailbox and leave. <laughs> that seems honestly like our doing our duty. What if we cover the package in olive oil and garlic and then <laughs> left it? <laughs> Until now, we haven't checked the room. Well, we haven't checked the room in the south of the kitchen, so maybe that's yeah, like a I mail think that's room. that's where we should go next, is go south. You land back in the dining room, from which there is one exit from which you have not used. South. We're going to try south? Yep, let's do it. You enter a lounge where there is a fire roasting in the heath. A smoking jacket rests on the arm of an overstuffed chair. There is a sniffer of brandy here. Okay, you don't drink brandy without having the smoking jacket. Um, take smoking jacket? You add the smoking jacket to your inventory. This seems obvious, but put on smoking jacket. You feel more confident than you have before. <laughs> the smoking jacket has provided you a whole new world of persuasion. Uh, take brandy. The brandy is added to your inventory. Do we want to drink the brandy? I feel like we have to try. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with trying. So company policy is against breaking people's mirrors, but we can just steal their stuff. I mean, it's just lying there, right? They're not using I guess it. You're right. Drink brandy. Rule 300 on the corporate rulebook says that drinking on the job is against policy. 
You know that if you drank this here, your manager would look very disappointed. <laughs> I feel like at one point we should also take the other drumstick. Yeah, we probably. Might, we might have wasted the first one. It's true. Uh, let's go back to the dining room. You are now in the dining room. Take second drumstick. You hack the second drumstick with a meat cleaver. It is added to your inventory. Return. Uh, go east. You return to the Great Hall. There is a large mirror and some oil paintings hanging on the wall. A staircase leads up to the second floor. Your exits are up, south, east, and west. Alright, go west. The li- you are now in the library. The library is home to many rare books. An Egyptian sarcophagus stands in the corner. Your exits are west, north. So far we've seen the mummy, the wolfman, and Dracula. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if we can open the sarcophagus. Is that yeah. worth it? I'm yeah, 100%. Sure. Mummy's curse it. is always worth it. Okay. Open sarcophagus. I do not recognize that command. Inspect sarcophagus? The heavy sarcophagus is either an antique curio or a very clever copy. That's all that's in the library. Books. Uh, inspect books? Most of the books here are covered in dust, but a few catch your eye. There is a book on herbalism, a book on the ancient Egypt, and a rare edition of Dante's Inferno. I just, there's an Egyptian book in that yeah, and it's yeah, yeah. Uh, take book on Egypt. Suddenly, you hear a rumbling. The sarcophagus slides open, revealing a secret door to the south. Go south. You are now in a secret private study. Lord Spooky's study is a Spartan room, containing just a writing desk and a chair. Your exits are north, back from which you came. Inspect writing desk. On the desk is a journal and a pen. Read journal. The journal is open to the most recent entry, dated one week ago. The journal entry reads, My trusted servant Manfred and I went on a hunting trip today. While we were out, we came across a rabid wolf. It attacked us and wounded uh, Manfred. Something strange is afoot. Okay, so where uh, there's the other book on um, uh, herbs, is it? Yeah. That might come in with the oil. Yeah. We, we need to go. Oh, sorry. I was wondering, can we write in the journal? Yeah, give it a shot. Yeah, sure. Uh, try writing an entry in the journal. You have nothing to write with. You stub your arm straight towards the book, <laughs> achieving nothing. <laughs> okay, there's a pen on the desk. Just double check uh, what's in this room. On there is a desk on which there is a journal and a pen. A take pen. I do not accept two commands. Take pen. You add the pen to your inventory. Use pen on journal. It is against company policy to deface the property of of the people to which to whom you are trying to deliver packages. All right. So here we just had the journal and the pen. Let's take the journal. You add the journal to your inventory. Uh, inspect that second book on oils. There is no such book in this study. There also oh. might be other pages in this journal that we could read, yeah. Uh, return to library. You return to library. It's home to many rare books. An Egyptian sarcophagus stands open in the corner. Uh, take a book on herbology. You read the first entry. Acontium vulpira. Bopara, also known as Wolfsbane, is rumored to cure like Yeah, all right. Uh, take Dante's Inferno. 
Suddenly a death trap opens beneath you and sends you swirling into a fire below. You have died. Oh. Oh. Opening your eyes as if, as if from a long and dreamless sleep, you find yourself standing over a lifeless body. With growing horror, you realize that the body is yours. Once a visitor, now standing a permanent resident of Spooky Manor. The end. What does he even have a death trap in his library? <laughs> we, just, we, we go again? Yeah. Still time. Uh, start. You stop your bicycle by a foreboding wrought iron gate. The cobblestone path winds its way to the north. To the east and west stretch a dark and lonely road. It is raining. Lock bike. You lock your bike to the wrought iron fence. Yeah. It is sturdy. Go to the porch. Porch? I want to yeah. check oh, yeah, the mailbox. Yeah. There is no mailbox here. If only. <laughs> so now go to the front door on the porch. You are at the imposing front door of Spooky Manor. There is a brass knocker here. Um, mm-hmm. Knock, knocker? You knock three times, but on the third, the door opens before you can land the knocker against the door. You are now in the vestibule. You are standing in a vestibule. Rain drips from your coat onto the floor. Beyond is the manor's great hall. There is a coat tree here. Ask for Ward Spooky. You cry out for Lord Spooky, but hear no reply. A little bit too easy. I, I don't want to put the jacket back on. To take the jacket off? Yeah, right? yeah. To put it back on. Okay. Uh, have we gone to every room? Do you... We went to basically every room, yeah. What we need, basic, what, we, what I assume we need is to find how sometimes we get to a garden. So let's go outside and see if we can find anything. We might not have checked every room of the library. No, we did, we did. Okay. There's only the only exit was return and the secret passage. Was there was there any other options from outside, or was it just walk up to the porch? Uh, they said they said that the road stretched east and west. Okay, uh, go back outside. You return to the you return to the front door. It is still raining here. Are you thinking we go west? Sure. Okay, go west. There is no other way to go. You may go sore, south or north. Oh, we have to go south first. Uh, go south. You are standing by the gate. You proudly look at your locked bike. <laughs> uh, so what, dire- what, what options are there? North. Oh, I guess not. I'm sorry. I lied. Uh, go north. You are now at the front door. Enter. You now are in the vestibule. We have to hang the coat, This, I guess. We can't enter without hanging our, the uh, coat, yeah. Check inventory. You have a raincoat and a parcel. In the pocket of your raincoat is a padlock key. Could we hang the parcel on the thing if you want to keep the coat? And then it's there if Lord Spooky wants it. Maybe we should have used the bike lock on that if it's the heaviest thing we had. Oh. Run to library. Read Dante's Inferno. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. Return outside. Return, um... (laughs) You are now at the front door. Uh, walk south to bicycle. You proudly look at your locked bicycle. Uh, unlock bicycle. You unlock your bicycle from the wrought iron fence. Take lock. You add lock to inventory. Walk back up to porch. You're now at the front door. Enter. You are now in the vestibule. Yeah, hang, we just hang the lock from the coat tree. Hang the lock from the coat tree. 
You hear a lo- you hear a creaking sound as the door in front of you opens. You can now see your way through to the great hall. So we're inside, but we have our jacket. Yep. Where does it get us? Though? I have no idea. <laughs> this is just like adventuring game logic of just like do everything you can to maintain your yeah. inventory. Um, I mean, we have to go north. It's our only option. Yeah. It's gonna walk behind us. Okay. Oh yeah, we're still we're not quite to everything. Yeah. Um, go north. You go north. The door locks behind you. There is a large mirror and some oil paintings hanging on the wall. A staircase leads to the second floor. You are dripping. You are dripping water. Go. That was that was west, correct? Or was that south of the kitchen? Go. Go east. You go east to the library. A library is open to many rare books. An Egyptian sarcophagus stands in the corner. I was wrong. It was the other way. Uh, go back to Great Hall. You are back in the Great Hall. We just went east, right? So we need to go west. Go west. You are now in the dining room. The dining room contains a long banquet table. A whole roast pheasant, complete with drumsticks, rests in the center of the table. We don't have the meat cleaver. We don't have the meat. No, we just have to go south because we died. We started. Go south to the lounge. In the lounge, you, there is a fire roaring in the heath. A smoking jacket rests on the arm of an overstuffed chair. There is a sniffer of brandy here. We could also we could have used, the brand. use the brandy. Yeah. Oh. Uh, throw dripping jacket onto hearth or heath. You hear someone yell, oof! Uh, examine hearth. The fire is out. Your jacket no longer exists. <laughs> that seems surprising. Look up uh, chimney. You notice that this isn't a chimney, but in fact goes to some kind of boiling, boiling water system. Inspect, well, I guess we've already inspected, but how big is this boiling water system? Like, could we... Climb into the chimney? Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. There is no other exit. Are we going to get stuck in there and die? What's what's upstairs from, from this? Yeah, there's the service quarters in the room we couldn't open. Yeah, I want to call out and see who's there. To say who's there. You hear no response. Can you take the... Is the brandy gone? Nope, we haven't taken it yet. Can we take it? You can add the brandy to your inventory. Take smoking jacket. Add smoking jacket to inventory. Put on smoking jacket. You now are imbued with a newfound confidence that you did not have before. Wait, that sounds like if that gives us like the com. If that, if that is like a stat. As yeah. It gives us like plus one confidence. Maybe we would be able to confront the wolf or perhaps. But I think our time is up. Yeah. Time is up. Oh, oh man. I think that went well. Uh, what do you think, Dan? I, I really enjoyed it. It reminds me a lot of sort of the, I think that the way Jared put it, the kind of merciless old style of adventure games. Um, a lot of dumb, silly ways to die. A lot of good jokes in there. I think a lot of them, I think some of them at least were, were your own. Um, there are some really solid good stuff. I just, I had a really good time with that. It, it was fun. I don't think we split off into, into groups as much, so it may be a smaller group than is usually played with. He usually runs it at conventions, which is, I think, why he, he sees more faction building. Yeah. I imagine if you have, like, only a couple people, the, there's a bigger, like, just peer pressure to kind of, like, oh, let's actually play this game. We ended up sort of working together a lot quicker. I also think just you ended up with a lot of people who know about sort of how text adventure games work, so we kind of clued on, especially with a few hints we got about kind of the nature of the video game within the within the text within the fake text adventure. The one thing that, that Jared kind of points to there is the, the nature of who is the player. <laughs> and I'm wondering, did you feel like you were playing or that you were just a 
different part of this system. I, I sort of felt like we were inhabiting a character, a lot of sort of the rules of things we couldn't do, and a lot of it felt like there was an established character that we were kind of coming into in a way that I think a lot of adventure games kind of do. The uh, you know Zork aside, a lot of adventure games feel like you're coming into a character who does something with previous lived experience. Well. That makes a lot of sense, especially considering that we have to keep going across the entire map yeah. in order to solve any of these puzzles. So for that, thank you so much to Jaren Sorensen for his time. You can find out more about Spooky Manor, Action Castle, and all the other Parsley games on Jared's website, memento-mori.com slash parsley, like the herb. Extra special thanks to everyone who played. Thanks to Jonathan Orr. He writes about games from the CBC. Thanks to Justin and Jacob. They work from another CGRU show called Radio Free Krypton. It's about comics. And thanks to Michael Newton for participating in this madness. He's CGRU's technical director, and you might know him from our live episode where he was one of the best chess players in North Bay. From CGRU, this has been Built to Play. I'm Ramonic Bali. And I'm Daniel Rosen. You can follow us on Twitter at Built to Play or visit our website, builttoplay.ca. You can find us on Facebook. But hey, if you really like the show, be sure to tell a friend or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. All of that stuff can really help us out. Or you can send us an email at builtplayshow at gmail.com. It'd be great to hear from you. you and you can follow me personally at F-L-A-R-K-C-O-N. And I'm at Daniel underscore Rosen. And remember, we were born stupid, but we will not die hungry. Buy more Happy Meals or the world's first loot boxes. Thank you so much for listening.